Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Even at like seven, I was very cheap, and I'm like, I'm going to have this, this shirt for a long time. I can't even comprehend this question. I wouldn't want land. I wouldn't want animals. I don't want any of that. I don't want scenery. I don't want space. No, it didn't look like... I don't like, want open spaces at all. It didn't look like there was a... within miles of that place. I'm out. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Wednesday. Cofield and Company heard at Battleborn Broadcast Center a little while later in the show. We'll have our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins in as we do our Reno and Vegas Nevada Sports Talk Hour. That's every day from 4 until 5. Maybe Adam Hill along a little later uh, once all the Raiders stuff is done this afternoon. We've got a ton of Raiders material to get to. Josh McDaniel spoke today and some slightly encouraging messages, but others a little bit confusing. And we'll get reaction in just a little bit to... An ESPN personality, former quarterback in the National Football League, frankly throwing out a pretty damning allegation the way of Derek Carr. But again, that's coming up in about 10, 12 minutes. Ari is back in our Finley Toyota studios. Let's do it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. So it's funny, Ari just told me before the show, we've got a lot of weather going on. And you can see it's uh, overcast and we had uh, rain yesterday and doesn't quite compare to what's going on in Florida, but we'll warn you there may be some uh, weather alerts throughout the show, so they take us off the air for a couple of minutes. But what's going on in Florida right now is pretty crazy. You know, these uh, hurricanes hit uh, every year, and they don't always hit land, but the west coast, the southwest coast of Florida is getting slammed, and we'll see where Hurricane Ian ends up, if it's going to uh, do enough damage that some NFL – well, it's one NFL game – that the NFL game may be moved. We'll get into that with the Chiefs and the Bucks, but this is something that could go pretty strong into Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina by the end of the weekend, which could affect you know real life. A lot of people, hopefully no one gets hurt and hopefully there's not too much damage, but college football games have been moving already and many more could move. And if you see some of the images so far on Twitter, especially uh, Fort Myers is in Southwest Florida. It's a little bit North of Naples, if you're familiar with the area, south of Tampa and St. Pete and Bradenton. Actually, I had uh, family in Fort Myers and actually lived there as a uh, young tyke for a little while. So uh, pretty familiar with the area. And, man, there's some crazy images. There was a video put out earlier. I think the camera was six feet up, and you could see water slamming against the camera, six feet off the ground. So Fort Myers Beach. Got hit pretty hard a couple hours ago. Um, I always question these videos, but uh, one of the South uh, East Florida writers, Armando uh, Armando Salguro, who used to cover the Dolphins, probably still does, uh, sent out a video of sharks swimming through the streets, which a lot of times those are fake videos, but it's kind of believable uh, in that Fort Myers area. So hopefully all of Florida gets through this without getting completely freaking slammed and, and torn apart and, as precautions, uh, they've already moved a bunch of games. So Central Florida and SMU is a massive game. Uh, that was supposed to be on Saturday afternoon. Uh, that's now moved to Sunday at 1 o'clock Eastern. Still TV there to be announced. Uh, there's been a ton of other college games moved as well. Florida 
the Gators, their game has been moved as well. There's also movement in the NFL with uh, the Dolphins playing tomorrow night against Cincinnati on Thursday Night Football. And by the way, we'll be on the road at Silver Sevens tomorrow. Two o'clock start, not a three o'clock start. Two o'clock start. They've got the 77 cent beers during the game. Got the uh, two dogs and a beer special for just 777. But 77 cent beers, all NFL games at Silver Seven. So come on by and hang out with us there. But the Dolphins are already in Cincinnati. Uh, so that's a pretty big game tomorrow. We'll see if Tua is going to play. They're saying it's a back injury. It certainly looked like he knocked his head, but uh, right now he is questionable as of today for that Thursday night football game. Uh, the Bucks and the Chiefs are supposed to play at Raymond James in Tampa. Uh, right now, the Buccaneers are practicing in Miami. Earlier today, rap sheet, you know, and this concerns betters as well. You know, we got to talk the other part of uh, the effect on these things. And again, you know, we don't want to see people getting hurt or property getting destroyed, but there are betting interest in these games. Uh, according to one of the NFL execs, Jeff Miller, right now there's no change to the Bucks and the Chiefs game on Sunday. Uh, the backup plan, if Hurricane Ian really wreaks havoc in Tampa, they'd move the game to Minnesota, which I actually think is an interesting choice. One, there will be Kansas City fans who make their way north and go to the game, so there'll be a little home field there for Kansas City. I thought there was a great idea thrown out by... Uh, one of the ESPN dudes who was talking about moving the Chiefs and the Bucks to Gillette. What a show would that that would be with Tom Brady getting one more chance to go back to New England, sort of in uh, I would think it would be sort of a home roll, far away from home, home away from home, because uh, Patriots fans would get a chance to officially say goodbye to him. But I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, I think Gillette has a game, a soccer game on Saturday, and obviously the Patriots are out of town, so the NFL is not going to act on that one. So it's either going to be in Tampa, depending on what Hurricane Ian does, or it's going to be in Minnesota. A bunch of news today in the AFC West. Uh, One, Joey Bosa is now down for at least four weeks. He's on IR. He had to get surgery on the groin injury, so it's a mess right now for the Chargers. And, you know, it's actually a bit of a mess for the Chiefs, even though they played pretty well in two games and got upset this last weekend, I thought the Chiefs would be good this year, and I thought they'd win the division. But one of the things that at least could be a distraction is Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, being around for another year. He hasn't been able to get a head coaching job. I'm not bagging on Eric Bieniemy and his ability to run the offense. But we have heard multiple times now that the relationship with Biennemi and some of the players is getting a bit strained, and it was strained at the end of last year. Apparently, uh, there was an incident um, at halftime of the Chiefs' final game, I think it was, where Biennemi and Tyreek Hill got into it, and I guess the organization felt between the money that Tyreek Hill wanted, you know, north of $30 million, and Tyreek's past being a little bit volatile, and then this clash between Biennemi and Hill, that that was enough. They move him, but, you know, Biennemi's still around there. And I thought you could saw the uh, you could see the handwriting on the wall when they brought back Matt Nagy from the Bears. He's now, I think, an offensive analyst. So I don't think is going to be dumped uh, during the season. I don't know if this will come to a head again. It did 
over the weekend because at halftime, uh, Mahomes thought with the ball in the 36-yard line and about, what, 35 seconds left in the half, yeah, 30 seconds left, uh, holding call pushing him back to their own 36. They had no timeouts. Um, they called a run play that ran out the clock, and apparently Mahomes went to the sideline and said, hey, I, you know, he was – he and the enemy were jawing at each other. And he said, I wanted to take another chance and try to get it down the field and get out of bounds, something like that. Try to give us a chance to either throw a Hail Mary, kick a field goal. Uh, but they had kind of made the decision, not just coach the enemy. I think it was coach Reed and the whole offensive staff decided that we were in a good spot. So keep an eye on the enemy and especially out in front of the cameras. And I'm sure the Kansas city media and others will be watching behind the scenes, but something very small, the Chiefs are dealing with, which is, uh, frankly, about as minor as it can get compared to the other three situations around the AFC West. The Broncos are 2-1, and one, but they cannot freaking score, and people are losing confidence, at least around the team. I don't know if the team is losing confidence in Hackett. We know what's going on here. It's been a freaking mess, and the Chargers are now a mash unit once again, so we'll see if they can get through, and they have to win. The Chargers do this weekend against the Texans, and the Raiders, frankly, have to win the game against the Broncos. They cannot allow the Broncos to come in here and win the game. So it looked like today was examination day, and this is down at the Henderson facility for the Raiders, of why McDaniels plus Carr plus the offense ain't really working. And from the outside, there's lots of fingers being pointed in lots of different directions. Um, I saw Vic Tafer uh, mentioned that you know he had he's from the athletic he covers the Raiders he's covered him for a long time and he he said hey you know what adapting to the new offense is something he wrote a while ago and he repeated again today adapting to the offense and adjusting to what the defense gives him uh, was and has was going to be and has been tricky for Derek Carr over the first three weeks and he said going back you know the same thing happened with other head coaches uh, guys like Del Rio and, and Gruden there were some growing pains early on the problem with this team is. They haven't won any of the first three games. Uh, they're struggling big time right now. The media is much more on top of this than I think they've ever been. There's a lot more uh, people covering the Raiders now with the, uh, you know, the, the Las Vegas media uh, growing and growing and growing, intense interest. The national media is looking in because people with uh, the addition of a star wide receiver and Devontae Adams, now you got the national media paying attention big time. So you're getting breakdowns from guys like – Dan Orlovsky, and we'll get to Orlovsky in a little bit because I'm going to bring in another quarterback that we have on Wednesdays, Caleb Herring, who played at UNLV. Orlovsky played at UConn and played in the NFL, and he threw out some pretty damning allegations saying that Derek Carr wasn't throwing the ball to Adams in the right spots when the defense is giving it to him, and he's doing it on purpose. That is some pretty hefty stuff. I don't think Derek Carr addressed it today. We'll find out. His media availability ended like 15 minutes ago. Uh, McDaniels was asked about it. We'll have that on the way back. Right now, though, giveaway time. Eddie Vedder tickets. Lead singer Pearl Jam, October 7th, Park MGM, Ticketmaster.com. Ticketmaster.com is where, where you can get your tickets. Ari's got two right now. Eddie Vedder's in town, October 7th, Park MGM, Ticketmaster.com. Caller 7, 364-1100 for the show with Eddie Vedder. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. Car, five-step drop, fires over the middle, in and out of the hands of the receivers, picked off. Kevin Byard out of the end zone, 
Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. What a freaking mess this season has been. That was Horowitz on the call on the uh, Compass Raiders radio network. You can hear Raiders games right here on Lotus Broadcasting on 92.3 Comp or Comp 92.3 like they prefer to be called. And, uh, of course, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. So this team's getting a lot of attention nationally because of the 0-3 start. They're the only 0-3 team in the NFL. There is one other winless team. It's the Texans, but we expected the Texans to stink. Not many people thought the Raiders would fall short in all three games. I'm not going to say they stink. God, I like Jason Fitz, and was actually texting with him earlier. He was doing the lead-in to us, and he kept saying a bunch of teams suck and are done. It's three games in, so I'm not going to sit here and say the Raiders are done but they've got an incredible uphill climb, and it has to start this Sunday with a win. But they've got some key things to fix. I'm not going to sit here and say they've got a ton to fix because they've been close. But we're starting to examine what's going on with the offense through the first three games, and there seems to be a disconnect. You know, I, I was laughing earlier. Someone on social media is like, hey, game one, Raiders fans. Are like, stop forcing the ball to Devontae Adams before game four. Start forcing the ball to Devontae Adams. Like, you, you can't win. But there were some clear mistakes in this last game. And Josh McDaniels addressed him today a little bit. We're going to play the Dan Orlovsky sound. Orlovsky really tore into Derek Carr and alleged that he's not throwing to Adams on purpose, which makes no sense at all. But you'll hear that in about 10 minutes Listen to uh, McDaniels here as uh, Vinny, our guy on the morning show on Raider Nation 920, tries to broach the topic and see if McDaniels saw what Orlovsky said about ball distribution. Josh, uh, Dan Orlovsky was on, uh, I think, ESPN yesterday, kind of implied or maybe even accused uh, Derek Carr of purposely trying not to throw the ball to Devontae Adams in situations where he was open. And- I mean, I obviously don't know. I didn't see that. I don't know what he's referring to. Look, there's one ball. There's five skill players. You know, usually uh, four or five of them are in the read somehow, some way, uh, unless they're just full-time in protection. Devontae would always be involved in the, the read part of that. And sometimes he's the first one. Sometimes he's the second. He's very rarely the third, fourth, or fifth. But sometimes it is what it is based on the coverage. And so, again, we've seen a lot of different things in three weeks, much of which may not have showed up in the scouting report based on the way a team played someone else. Okay. This one's going in kind of a weird direction because it almost sounds like they're being shocked by the changes from the pregame plan or the expectations of the opposing defense, which is not not a good look at all. There is the ability to make adjustments during the game. That is one of the strengths of the greatest coaches in this league and the best coordinators and the best coaching staff. So I didn't really get where Josh McDaniels was going there. Continue as he uh, talks about ball distribution and maybe – why Carr might be missing some guys or Adam is, uh, Adams isn't consistently hauling in catches. One of the things that's really been interesting, and I've experienced this a couple other times in my life, the scouting report almost takes a, you know, a right or a left turn at the beginning of the game because a team decides to do something dramatically different than maybe what they did against two or three opponents prior to your game. Getting used to that, being able to adjust to it, 
um, and still be productive. And again, a good example would be Holland's, you know, has more opportunities because of certain things that maybe someone did to try to effectively take someone else away. You know, Darren was doubled a number of times the other day. Devante was as well. Hunter's been doubled this year uh, multiple times. You can't necessarily predict it, uh, which is why what we try to always preach is the most important thing we can do is read the defense because if you're going to just assume that one guy is going to be open or, you know, I have to throw it here, um, again, the defense always has a vote in that and they get to determine how they're going to try to cover you. So at the end, it seems to be coded language there that you have to read the defense. I have confidence that Derek Carr can read defenses. I think he's been pretty successful over the course of his career. And, you know, throwing in the positive note about Matt Collins, that is good. That's not going to last uh, much longer. And maybe that'll help take some of the double-team pressure off the other guys. But to suggest that the pregame report, the scouting report, takes a left turn at the beginning of the game and then throw it out there that, as an example, you know, Devontae Adams was double teamed. Wait, that's not in the scouting report that Devontae Adams might be double teamed? Are the Raiders going into games expecting that no one is going to be double teamed? That Darren Waller at times won't be double teamed? So, listen, they're, they're not going to spill the beans on a whole lot, and I don't expect them to, and they probably shouldn't. Uh, bottom line is here, they have to make adjustments or they've got to do a better scouting report going into the game. And we'll get into the whole car angle. Uh, Derek Carr has to find those spots in the defense where the defense is giving up openings. Cause there's going to be an opening somewhere unless your game plan is just absolutely horrific. Let's bring in a quarterback in a couple of minutes here. Caleb Herring's coming up. UNLV football is playing on Friday. It's an early uh, game in the week. It's not an early game. It's an eight o'clock start, but a great time to go out to a Legion. If you haven't seen it, watch UNLV football, party it up. It's an eight o'clock start. On Friday, we've got a four-pack right now. Ari's going to hook you up. 364-1100, Four-pack to this Friday's UNLV game. We'll have several more of these throughout the show. 364-1100, caller number seven, Caleb Herring, former Rebel, is on the way. And we'll get into uh, reading the defense and quarterbacking. Join Cofield and company on Thursdays for the live 2-5 to five show at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. During all NFL games this season, get 77-cent beers. It's Thursday Night Football at Silver 7's Flamingo in Paradise. Straight ahead goes Brumfield. Big scrum at the line. I think he's in. Second and effort, he gets pushed. They give a signal is. finally. He's All in. right, there you go. Touchdown. They took him a while, yeah. but they finally threw their hands up in the air, and the Rebels take their first lead of the game. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. All right, let's bring in Caleb Herring as he can decipher what Josh McDaniels is talking about today, what Dan Orlovsky was talking about, and getting after Derek Carr. But first, we'll get into a little UNLV football. You hear one of the calls from the game there with Russ and Caleb on Learfield. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Steve. How about you? A little confused on the, the Raider stuff. You know, you get coach speak <laughs> a lot of times. So I feel like there's some thinly veiled uh, language in there. And I don't know who McDaniels is blaming. Maybe a lot of it's just the note or the message. Hey, be patient. Before all that, though, let's get into a couple of UNLV topics. We're off to a good start here. Three and one. Really nice road win at Utah State. They got tested in the fourth quarter, which they'd failed that test a bunch of times last year in really close games. So as we look ahead to New Mexico, they got the job done last year against New Mexico, and they faced that 3-3-5 defense. For people who don't know, 
Rocky Long was at New Mexico for a really long time as a head coach, went to San Diego State and was the head coach, then kind of retired and then went back with Danny Gonzalez, one of his guys, and Rocky is now back as the D.C., and they've got that 3-3-5, which I know you're very familiar with in trying to beat and study. Yeah, it was it was one of my least favorite defenses of all time. Obviously, Rocky Long San Diego State um, did a great job and got his system um, implemented. And it was one of the the most uh, longstanding, I guess, formulas for winning for Rocky Long was that three three five defense and the solid run game. Um, and a very similar situation is what they're trying to establish in New Mexico now, with a few years under his belt um, as a defensive coordinator. There, the three three five is still um, just as much a curveball to quarterbacks to prepare for as it was. Back in my day, it's a little bit more common. I think there's a little bit more film on it now. Um, but really, the, the headache that it gives you is because it's just so unfamiliar, right? It's something that you don't see every day. A, a 4-3 shell, you can walk up and, and call out what blitz is coming easy as pie, right? But 3-3-5, three, three, it, it could be anybody that's blitzing, especially we got a talented and versatile guy playing what they call the Lobo spot, um, which is one of three safeties that can kind of rove around, roam around the field kind of unattached to any rules. And I think that's what... Uh, this defense aims to do is to 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 really break all the rules that you think of as a quarterback when you're talking about your pre-snaps read and who's supposed to be where and who can blitz from where when you're going up against this defense it can be anybody from any place at any time so it makes you honest it makes you true to your keys and it's designed to get you confused both on as a quarterback and as an offensive line and protection schemes uh it's, it's really an unknown who's going to come into the snap unless you get a really good beat on it um, and, and, and can trust the scouting report and have a good plan as far as what you do offensively, it can cause confusion. And, and, and doing so, chaos in the backfield, which was something that Rocky Long uh, took advantage of on third and long situation. You want to stay out of those because that blitz, that blitz package really opens up wide in that 3-3-5 three, three, when, when you're in third and long situations. It's funny, uh, talking to Marcus Arroyo yesterday, you, myself, and John Von Tobel were on with Coach Arroyo, and this thing goes so far back, not that – Arroyo was that old, but he talked about having to face it back in his day as a San Jose State quarterback. And he said the linchpin in the 3-3-5 back then was one of the greatest players in the history of the school and that he was facing Brian Erlacher. Remember, Erlacher in the NFL was a linebacker. He was a safety back then and actually a punter, too. Yeah, imagine that, like trying to return a punt and there's Erlacher coming to, to wipe you off the face of the earth, right? And that's, that's what you want. As, as Like I said, that spot in the – in the defense is a guy like that, an all-around stud, the speed, the physicality, um, the versatility to do basically whatever you ask him to do. And that's, that's I think, what Rocky Long is trying to find. And Jarek Reed for New Mexico right now is looking like he's filling that, that spot, maybe not to the extent of Brian Erlacher, obviously, um, but he's getting the job done, leading the team in tackles right now. Um, he looks like a kind of a Swiss Army knife in the middle of the defense, able to roam around everywhere and make just about every play versus pass versus run on the blitz. Um, and that's what you want. That's, I think, what one of the strengths is. If you find a guy in this defensive system that can be that rover, that can be that guy that's everywhere on the field, um, then it's going to be a really tough defensive scheme against him. Um, uh, the defenses look better for New Mexico this year. There's been times where they, they look pretty decent. I know the Boise State game, uh, the 3-3-5 was giving Bachmeyer all kind of fits, right? And um, things weren't as smooth as maybe people would have expected. But um, it's still a work in progress. And I think UNLV right now is – pretty confident with the Royals experience against the three, three, five, seen it last year and having success against it as well. I think uh, they feel pretty confident that they can do what needs to be done to come out on top. UNLV out to a three and one start. Caleb Herring is on the call of the games as the analyst. Of course, he played quarterback here in Vegas for 
the Rebels, and he's the uh, co-host of the Marcus Arroyo radio show and also does our podcast, the UNLV All Access Podcast on Twitter. You can find it at UNLV All Access. So I was reading a story earlier today uh, on one of the Mountain West sites, one of the, uh, the blog sites, and they were trying to explain problems with the topsy-turvy Mountain West by pointing to injuries, and they went down through a lot of the expected top teams, and hey, here are the injuries, right? Now, Fresno State certainly has some challenges here with their right tackle, Dante Bull down, their safety's down, Jake Hayner is down, and they finally got to UNLV, and they only listed two players, and you know, I sent them a, a tweet, and then they kind of brushed me off on it, but I, I wanted to mention, UNLV has done what they're doing to this point with now potentially five starters out before this it was probably two three starters out they've been without tyson player the starting safety the whole year naki fahino one of the defensive linemen he's down right now i don't know when he's coming back with that lower left leg injury ricky johnson has been down the whole season maybe he was the starter at the other cornerback spot across from noel williams and now jeff weimer appears to be down a starter for a while and i think kyle williams is probably doubtful so they could be down five starters going into this game against New Mexico, when does that become a problem? I think, you know, the, the good thing is, like you said, the, the two of the injuries that we, or lack of availability um, that we knew about, Ricky Johnson and Tyson Player, they were almost immediately a, a, an issue, right? Because they had to find depth. They had to find guys and move guys around. So um, early in the season, it was, it was evident that they weren't at 100% in the secondary on the defensive side of the ball. So, They've always been dealing with it. It's always been a problem, at least um, to some extent, for UNLV. Now, the positions with the new injuries, and if you want to include Naki in that, um, the position groups, I think, that have been hit have actually been the positions that have ha added the most depth during the offseason. Um, and guys like Darius Johnson coming back and Tavis Malakis being trustworthy um, on the defensive line. Eliel Hemere continues to improve on the defensive line, so – Losing Naki isn't necessarily as bad because the depth has increased on the defensive line. Um, same thing with the wide receiver room, right? Like Jeff Weimer has obviously been a, a welcome addition to the room. Kyle Williams has been a consistent uh, receiver in the receiver room for his three years in the program. But they've added so much depth in that position group that maybe they get a uh, get away with injuries a little bit more than they would have in the past. I, last year, if you'd have told me they lost two receivers. I'd say, who's going to catch a pass? Like, who, who, who's going to run routes now? Because the depth just wasn't there. So it, it's good, and I think it always has an impact to lose top guys on the depth chart. Um, but when you have trusted guys coming in behind, Seneca McKee and Nick Williams in the receiver room, who are capable guys, who've shown at times this season that they can be reliable receivers, um, when you still got Ricky White, who's uh, the number one receiver right now for UNLV, and you you know you got your tight ends healthy with Sheldon Zeon making an appearance, and um, guys like Zayl Griffin, who haven't really made an impact yet this season, but do have talent and are capable of making big plays. I think the depth is an issue. I think it's being tested now for UNLV, but I think they addressed it in the right time, which is during the offseason and bolstering up some of these position groups to make sure they can withstand it and that injuries aren't, you know, a nail in the coffin for the season um, and won't be blamed for a lack of production. You can, you can bet that much from UNLV and Coach Roy and the staff. They're not going to say injuries are the reason we faltered against New Mexico or anybody else in the conference, they got next man up mentality and they, they really mean it, especially with the wide receiver group and the D line group as well. Let's uh, let's stick with the defensive backfield. And this is a program in, in recent years on these teams that uh, the defensive backs, I thought always had trouble with ball location. You know, the ball would get thrown downfield deep. 
of 50-50 balls. And more often than not, they came up short on the 50-50 ball. Now, they just picked the ball off five times. Uh, one of them was by Ajake, but they've gotten better. How do you get better at ball location? Or, excuse me, yeah, finding the ball as a defensive back. I think it's there's part of it that's natural. I think there's a natural feel for it, um, and part of it probably comes from playing both sides of the ball, being in high school. There's a lot of guys on these skill positions nowadays that go both ways in high school. Um, so there's a little bit of a knack for it that you developed in your early years playing football. But then I think that when you have competition in uh, in within the program, in practice, we talk a lot about iron trapping iron and the one look versus one look um, during fall camp and during the offseason. Um, and then when you have quarterbacks who are willing to, um, and this was all offseason and all fall camp, we saw this. Like All the quarterbacks in the quarterback competition for UNLV were willing to throw the ball up for grabs. So those are practice reps, not just for receivers to try to come down, and not just for the quarterbacks and their timing, but it's also practice for defensive backs who are defending in those situations to now be used to and accustomed to seeing the ball coming at them at different trajectories for different routes and different spacing on the field. Um, it's just as important for those guys to see that in practice. And I remember being a scout team quarterback at one point in my career, and the the defensive coordinator would say, I don't care if they're not open. Throw it down there. We need to see it. And I didn't understand. I was like, you want me to throw a pick? Like, why? I, I, that's against everything I know, right? But as I grew, it made sense. They need to see the ball in the air and understand how to play it in the air. Um, it's just a, as important a part um, as being in position and coverage. You need to be able to identify and either break up passes in the air or come down with interceptions like the Rebels did last week at Utah State. And I think that's what this group of DBs has gotten. They've gotten much better ball skills, like you said, than we've seen for groups in the past. I know Noel Williams is a ball hockey. You can see his his playmaking skills on the return game. Um, he got a couple of interceptions last week. Cam Oliver, who I've always thought had impressive ball skills, and we, we saw that during the drills in fall camp, his timing jumping up and going getting things, and he put it on full display on one of the, the most impressive interceptions of the season so far. So I think the ball skills are definitely on display for the secondary and they're a longer, more lengthy team uh, on the back end than we've seen from UNOV as well. And that has a lot to do with it too. So um, those things come in handy, especially against some of these teams in the conference that are going to be more than willing to throw the ball down the field. And you think about Fresno State later on this year when they get healthy, they're definitely going to take their shots uh, down the field against the secondary. So it's good to see them, you know, put those ball skills on display and, and come down with some interceptions. And maybe that translates into more big plays going forward. Let's move to the Raiders. So Dan Orlowski and ESPN, a former NFL quarterback, got the film, started breaking things down. Uh, you'll be able to understand this, uh, the language here. There's a lot of routes to go through. I know you watched the video. He's really getting on Derek Carr. Ari, fire this first one as Orlovsky goes through a couple of different uh, routes and what Carr did wrong. This is a deep hook by Devontae Adams. And what you get is cover two up top. Now, everything is off this hook defender. If he goes with the wheel route, throw it to Devontae. Mm. He went with the real route. Devontae's wide open. <coughs> That's exactly where the ball should go. Down at the bottom, I have a curl flat. Number one defense that this place stinks against is cover two. Cover That's two. why you have somebody that yeah, sits over the top of the ball. This is cover two at the bottom of the screen. That play at the bottom is dead. Devontae is not only the guy you want to throw to, but that's the person because of what the defense is that you should throw the ball to. All right, Caleb. So watching that video, we talked about a deep hook and a curl flat. Did you agree with the assessment of Carr missing the right receiver on both of those? Um, I The, the second one I would tend to lean to agree with, and I think um, that's a, a, a very much um, – 
how do I say it? understandable read concept or progression there. When you got cover, when you get cover two to a trips and you're running a curl flat, the intent of the number three receiver is to uh, fill the void um, because the coverage pushed out to the curl. So I, I think I understand that one, and it's the read that's right in front of his face. So it all made sense. Um, I think the first one, the the curl flat, um, where it was actually Devonte who was running the deep curl. Um, I think I can understand why Derek would have missed it just based on what I watched and where his eyes started the play at. Um, it's very difficult to get your eyes from one side of the play back to the other when both primary reads happen at the same time. And I, I think I was watching that play and I said, you know, Derek starts his eyes on one side of the field as he's going there first. Uh, they're, both reads are it's a split read where one side has a primary and a secondary. The other side also has a primary. And sometimes you get caught picking the wrong side to, on pre-snap. Um, so your eyes never see um, that Devontae came wide open. And that's happened to me before. Um, I, I wouldn't say that that's something that's problematic. I just say that's a misread. And you could say that that happens to just about any quarterback uh, several times during any game where what they thought they should look at first ended up being not the right look. And um, the pre-snap read does get confusing sometimes, or at least where you thought you might be going first. And then as the play develops or you get back on the iPad on the – on the sideline and you say, oh, wow, this is what they're doing. I, I should have started here and maybe going forward, that's what I'll do. So um, maybe the Raiders have some work to do in figuring that part out and what what the actual progression should be. It, it's very easy to say it should be Devontae Adams first, second, and then third, and then get to your checkdowns from there. But um, just some misreads, I think, from a young, considering you know the situation, a young Raider offense right now. Now down in the red zone, Devontae's going to run a quick fade versus inside leverage two-man. Cut the split because I got space on purpose. The safety really doesn't matter. He wins off the line of scrimmage. I watched Aaron Rodgers throw that ball to Devontae a thousand <laughs> yes, times yes. against San Francisco last year. But he's not even looking over there on third and eight down in the red zone. That's only three clips because it's television. There's like six of them right. where the defense tells you the ball should go there. And it's Devontae Adams. Hmm. Orlovsky went on to say it almost seems like Carr is not throwing at Adams on purpose. I think that's a pretty serious allegation. What about that one? Quick fade, inside leverage. When you watch the video, what do you see of Derek Carr? Uh, what I saw was, yes, uh, if I wanted to force the ball to Derek Carr, I would have forced it to him. And on third and eight, um, yes, I obviously would start with Derek, with, excuse me, with Devontae Adams being my number one option, especially if he has a fade route and it's one-on-one. -on -one. But it wasn't one-on-one. -on -one. The safety's clearly sitting overhang over the top, um, reading Carr's eyes. And if Carr took, took a look at all to Adams on that particular play, the safety would have reacted, right? The safety doesn't come off the hash in that play as the clip was winding because Carr's not looking that way. Uh, Carr's looking to the to the trip side. So um, there's a lot that unfolded on the film that, that Orlovsky pointed out. And I like there's some things that I agree with. You saw, you know, situations, obviously, Aaron Rodgers, you're going to get the comparisons now because the, the transition has been made and things were said during the offseason to what Aaron Rodgers would have done in that situation. But Aaron Rodgers is one of the top arm talents in the history of the game. And I'm not saying right. Derek Carr is not a good quarterback, right. but Aaron Rodgers has the ability to force the issue a little bit more than most quarterbacks do. And if you remember in that 49er game uh, in the playoffs when they were eliminated, by the way, it was Aaron Rodgers' inability to look for anybody else in, in the route that cost the Packers that game, right? The times that he was forcing Devontae Adams to pass, um, even when he shouldn't have, when you got guys running down the field open um, to win the game, potentially, that was what cost the Packers in the end. So I think it's one thing to say 
that he's not getting enough targets in certain situations. And let's say there's three clips that he could show. There was like six total. All right, that's still six plays out of an entire system of play calls, that 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 uh, entire game cut up that you pointed out that he didn't get the ball. Devontae Adams is still one of the top five guys as far as the targets go at receiver. He's in the top five in that category. They haven't connected as much. He hasn't had the yards, the stats, the touchdowns even. Um, but they're still targeting Devontae Adams plenty in the offense. As they get more comfortable in the offense, and I, I've said this, that Derek Carr doesn't look as in command of the offense as he has been in the past because it's new. It's a new system. Um, but as they get more comfortable, they'll be able to connect more. They'll understand the opportunities and the openings that the offense creates for Devontae Adams, and they'll get more adept at doing it. And I think that's just a work in progress. They're three games in. 0-3 ain't the start you wanted. They put up good points, 20-plus points in each of their outings offensively. Um, they just got to figure things out and do it more consistently. And I think it's a work in progress. That's what we're seeing right now with the Raiders offensively, with Carr and Adams. We know they're boys. They're tight. Um, I just I wouldn't start the swirlings of the, Derek Carr is intentionally not passing it to Devontae Adams. It seems a little premature and a little unwarranted to make that the criticism. He's missed him a few times, and I think we should just leave it at that. 364-1100, We're talking UNLV earlier in the big interception game against Logan Bonner. They had five in that game. We'll give away a four-pack to uh, the New Mexico game on Friday, 8 o'clock start. Trivia question here. Pretty easy one if you can just look it up. So 364-1100. <laughs> who led the 2021 Rebels in interceptions last year? It's one of two players. There were two players who had three interceptions. Ari's got a four-pack right now. Call in. Name one of the players who led the 2021 UNLV Rebels in interceptions. All right, I got about 90 seconds, two minutes left here, Caleb. And I wanted uh, this one answered. This is very important because I think a lot of people are figuring, hey, the Cowboys were going to stink without Dak Prescott. But somehow Dallas is making it work with Cooper Rush. What are they doing? I think they're playing winning football and actually trusting a winning football formula, which is to run the ball um, and play good defense. And this is a tried and true formula to win football games. It's to not put your quarterback in a situation where he needs to be special in order for your team to win. Um, and that's proof that's proven time and time again. Even the greatest quarterbacks understand this. Tom Brady understands when it's time to hand the ball off and, and lean on your run game. But I think that's what the Cowboys are doing. They're leaning way more heavily into the run game. The first game of the season had 18 carries total. Um, you look at the last two, 30-plus uh, rush attempts in those games. And Ezekiel Elliott had somewhat of a resurgence last week. Um, and I think that should have been the formula all along. And it's, it's not that Dak Prescott isn't capable. It's not that he's not elite or anything like that. But I think sometimes teams get uh, enamored with the, with the toys that they're paying millions of dollars and the expectations of production based on that. Um, and it's more exciting, obviously, to, to air it out and throw the ball 40-plus times a game. But I think winning formulas are true no matter what. If you run the ball effectively and have a balanced attack on offense, uh, you tend to win more ball games, or at least – be in more ball games, especially when you got one of the top defenses in, in the league in Dallas right now. And I think that's what they're doing. They're understanding what they have available to them, and they're making the most of it by actually coaching and game planning winning formulas instead of just saying, Dak is our guy. He's going to go win it for us. You can't do that, obviously, with Cooper Rush. Right. Um, so you do what you need to do. You get the rest of the team involved. You, you lean heavily on the run game, um, and you put yourself in better situations to let your defense do what it does best, which is create chaos and and turnovers and negative play. So I think they're doing a good job of just playing team football. Um, and I think more teams need to look at that. And, and a lot of teams have to because they go to their backups for whatever reason. Um, but I think it's a winning formula. And when you lean to that formula, no matter who's that quarterback, 
you can have success. And that's where the Cowboys find themselves right now. Caleb, great job, man. We appreciate it. I'll see you on Friday. All right, guys. Take it easy. Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3-6 to six show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island.